right, church. Good morning. It's so good to see all of you this morning. It's so good to see those of you that are worshiping with us online too. How's everybody doing? Feeling good? I love baptisms. I, I wish we could do it every Sunday. We could. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep the water going. And, uh, and so I love that. I, I'm so grateful that Belina got to be here with us today and, uh, and, and do that. And so um, I hope that you'll get a chance to greet her uh, on, after service. Just say, give her a hug and, and let her know how grateful you are to get the opportunity to meet her and to witness her baptism. And uh, so if you're just checking in with us today, we've been doing this sermon series called Winning the War in Your Mind, and it's based on a book by Craig Cruschel called The Same Thing, Winning the War in Your Mind. And uh, it's just a, been a book that has impacted my life, and uh, Craig is a pastor of a church out west, and, and I thought that, you know what, this is something that we could all hear and something that we could all do. And so we've been taking kind of a quick look at each week at a different part of the book. Uh, I will tell you that the book goes into far more detail than what we're talking about. And so if this is something that interests you or something that you feel like you want to know more about, I encourage you to go ahead and get the book, Winning the War in Your Mind, and go ahead and read it. It's an audiobook too. So if you do audiobook or if you drive a lot, you can listen to it. That's how I uh, kind of took it in the first time. And so, um, so I just encourage you to do that. And, uh, and so we've been doing this, this idea of looking at what it means uh, to win the war in our mind. And I wonder how many of you all are feeling like uh, life is good for the most part right now, but you find yourself complaining a lot or thinking about negative things. Anyone uh, feel like that? Uh, I know some of us in this room do, and uh, I know that there are days where I feel like that, where life is good, but there's so many things going on, uh, and I, I, I tend to have these negative thoughts. And, uh, and here's what I know, uh, and, and I complain about it. And so here's what I know, and what we know about our minds is that our mind is a battlefield. And we talked about that. We talked about that the first week, that our mind is a battlefield, and that most of life's battles are won or lost in our minds. And uh, in other words, the life that we have uh, the, in life, or the life that we have in so many different aspects, is a result of the thoughts that we think. So the life that you experience and the life I experience often is a result of our thought life. What comes into your mind tends to come out in your life. And, uh, and I want to just start real quick today by jumping in and reviewing uh, one of our key thoughts or key passages for this series, and it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. And here's what the Apostle Paul said uh, in that scripture. He says these words. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So all of us live in the world. We all agree on that, that we all live in this world, but we don't wage war as like the world does. Paul goes on and says in verse four, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And so the weapons that we use to wage war that's going on in our mind, they're not the same weapons that the world uses. We don't fight with guns or knives or bats or if you have rocket launchers, if you have one of those, don't tell anybody, rocket launchers or tanks. We don't fight with the weapons that the world uses. It says on the contrary, they, the weapons we do fight with, have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now remember what we said. We said a stronghold is a pattern or a wrong pattern of thinking. So a stronghold is a lie that we're believing. And many of us are held hostage by the lies that we believe. And Paul goes on in verse 5 and he says this. He says, listen, he says, church, we demolish arguments 
and every pretension, every lie that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And how do we do that? How do we demolish these arguments and these lies? He says we do it by taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. So you want to know how to wage the war in your mind. It begins by taking captive every thought that is in your mind and making it obedient to Christ. What does that look like? It looks like, well, I've got this thought going on in my mind. Does what I'm thinking match up with God's word? I'm taking it captive. I'm taking it and I'm comparing it to what God's word said. And if it doesn't match up with the word of God, then we make it obedient to Christ because it's a lie. And so a lot of us are losing the war in our minds because we are allowing these strongholds to live and exist within our minds. And so today, I want to focus on or talk about defeating your negative thoughts. Like a lot of us struggle with a negative thought life and how do we defeat it? And if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the power of the mind. Like your mind is such a powerful and, uh, and complex and incredibly amazing part of your body. And we talked about how we have these neural pathways that, are, that we have billions of neural pathways in our brain that every time you think a thought, you create a new pathway in your mind. And so we've got billions of them going on in our mind. And the more you think a thought, the more that you think a negative thought, the easier it is to think that thought again. And that the reason that so many of us are stuck with what I call stinking thinking is because we've allowed these thoughts to create pathways in our brain. And I want to expand on that idea today, and I want to talk about this thing called cognitive biases. Now, that's like a scientific term, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to fall asleep. Like, I can't do this. But hang in there with me, because it's not as hard or complicated as you might think it is. Because a cognitive bias is a mistake in reasoning based on personal experiences or preferences. So in other words, a cognitive bias is simply a, a, a filter that your brain has uh, that oftentimes mistakes reasoning or causes your reasoning to be inaccurate based upon personal experiences or preferences that you've had. Let me break it down a little more for you. In other words, if you grew up and you had something really, really bad happen to you, a lot of times you have a framework of thinking or a filter through which you might see a situation currently inaccurately. Based upon how you, your past experiences, your framework or your filters are often inaccurate. For example, uh, let me just give you one. Maybe you grew up around very abusive men. And maybe that was your circumstances as a kid. You grew up around very abusive men. So because you were hurt and abused by men, uh, a lot of times when you see men, your bias because of your past experiences tends to shape how you see men today. And because of what happened, you oftentimes can make inaccurate judgments about the people around you. Or maybe you grew up with parents who said bad things about people with money, wealthy people. Maybe they said things like wealthy people, all wealthy people are bad, or all wealthy people are evil, or all wealthy people are always looking out for number one. And then you find yourself later in life, you're starting to succeed financially, you're starting to become financially secure, and you feel guilty 
about that or you feel ashamed because you grew up with this bias that all wealthy people are bad. And it's not that wealthy people are bad, but your filter based upon your experiences shapes how you see it. You see, the filters that you have shape how you see life. The filters that you have based upon your experiences shape how you see life. And what's interesting is this, that if you change the filter, it often changes how you feel. Like if you're posting, we do this all the time, if you're posting a picture uh, that's not very good on social media, what do you do? You change the filter, you add a filter to the picture to make the feel of the picture look differently. Now, I'll be honest with you, I've never personally used filters, but I played with one this week. And so that's the original picture on the left. But now I'm looking pretty good on the right. I look a little younger. My cheeks are a little perkier. My beard isn't so gray. And, uh, and so, and the glasses, I think the glasses just make it. And uh, so a picture, a filter, when you change the filter, it changes the feel of the picture. And the same is true in our lives, that uh, if you change the filter in your life, it changes the feel. I did another one, and I'm like, man, I'm going to be a good-looking old man. Like, I was going to tell my wife, she's not here, I was like, you're lucky. Like, that's what I'm going to look like. I look like Santa Claus with a trim beard. I'm looking pretty good. But that's what happens when you change the filter, it changes the feel. And a cognitive bias is what we might call a default filter. It's when our brain is pre-wired, right? It's pre-wired to think a certain way or to interpret specific situations, even if our interpretation is completely inaccurate based upon our past experiences. And this is why, uh, and you may have experienced this, but this is why two people can respond totally different to the exact same situation, it's not the facts that are different, it's the filter. And I experienced this when I was in college. Uh, I was a criminology major, and one of my last semester uh, in college, I had to do an internship. And so I interned with the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, which was the lar- one of the largest sheriff departments in the state of Florida. And, uh, and so I was an intern, so I always got like the scrub jobs. Like if we rolled up on an accident, guess who got to take the wit- eyewitness statements? That was me. I'm the one that got to do all the fun stuff, like, what did you see? Tell me what you saw. And it was amazing to me that I could ask one person, tell me what you saw, and they would tell me one thing, and then I'd go over here and ask another person what they saw, and they'd tell me something totally different. The facts didn't change. It's just the way that they filtered the accident through their filter. And so this is, um, for example, you might be at your workplace, right? And your supervisor might give the same exact feedback in the same exact way to two different people. And the way they receive the feedback can be vastly different. Like they may give the feedback to one person and that person gets completely offended by the feedback. They are so offended. They're like, why are you telling me this? Like you don't even know how valuable I am to this company. I don't even like you anyway. Like why are you my supervisor and who do you think you are? to give me this feedback. So that it could be person's one, their, their feedback. But then the second person, uh, they give the same exact feedback from the same exact supervisor, and their filter is different. 
And so when they get the feedback, they say something like this. You know what? I just want to thank you so much for that feedback. That was really helpful. Like, thank you for taking the time. And you know what? Because of your feedback, I can do a better job. And I really appreciate the fact that you value me. Thank you so much for your feedback. Like, same feedback, same facts, two totally different responses. And it's not the facts that were different. It's the filter. It's the filter through which those, pers- those people heard the feedback. And you even see examples of this happening in the Bible. Like there's a powerful example in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And you might be familiar with it. Moses, uh, they're getting ready, the Israelites, to enter the promised land. And so Moses sends out 12 spies to explore the promised land. And 12 of them went out, right? And 12 of them saw the exact same thing. But the reports that they gave coming back were entirely different. It wasn't the facts that were different. It was the filter. You see, two of them, two of the spies came back, and they were super excited. They were so giddy. It was like Christmas morning for them. They couldn't wait to tell Moses what they saw. They're like, Moses, you won't believe it. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Like the land is amazing. Like it's so fertile. It's perfect. God has given us this amazing place. Like let's go. Let's take the land. It's so amazing. That was two of them. The other 10 spies came back and they said, Moses, with faces like they had just been at their funeral of their favorite grandma, they come back and they're like, Moses, you won't believe this. Like this place is so dangerous. Like it is dark. The land devours people. And there's giants, these huge people. And we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. Like they're going to squash us like a bug. Like we never should go into the promised land. And so 10 out of the 12 were negative. 10 out of the 12. And I think we experience that in today's world, right? Like 10 out of 12 people are negative, it feels like. You look on social media, you watch the news, you listen to the radio. It just feels like 10 out of 12 people are always negative. But what happened? What happened was that their filter changed their perception of how they felt, And the 10 negative ones, they felt like grasshoppers among giants. You see, it wasn't the facts that were different. It was the filter. But it's not just the filter that causes us to have cognitive bias. It's also the frame. You see, you can be in the very same situation. Two people could be in the very same situation. And how they frame it determines how they see the situation. And so I want to give you a tool this morning to help you. And the tool is called reframing. Everybody say it together. Reframing. And what, what does it mean to reframe a situation or to reframe a relationship? Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or a relationship which changes its meaning. So it's looking at the same picture but reframing the circumstances in a different way and changing the meaning of it. And let me give you an example of how you, can, how you can do that with a day. Let's say that there's Monday. Let's say it's a Monday morning. And so let's say that you wake up on a Monday morning and you determine ahead of time. You say, you know what? 
I know that this is going to be a horrible day. And you say to yourself, you're like, today is going to suck. Like, I have so much to do today, and the people I work with, they just drive me completely crazy. I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so tired. Life is hard. My husband is driving me crazy. And why do we have all these kids in the house? And my car is stupid, and I hate the people I work with. I hate my job. I just, today is going to be a Monday. And you could do that. Or you could reframe that same Monday and you could say this. You could say, as you wake up, you could say, you know what? I got a lot going on today and I know it's going to be hard, but I'm so thankful that God is with me. I'm so grateful that I have a job to go to. I'm so thankful uh, for my old clunker that gets me to the job. And even though some people are driving me crazy at work and there are, I believe that they're good people. I mean, I just think they're pretty good people. And I believe that today is going to be a good day. Like we're going to have to grind it out. We're going to have to work hard, and, but we're going to get a lot done. And so reframing how you see a day is the difference between having a horrible day and having a good day. It's not the facts that are different. Those people are the same people. That car is the same car. Your husband or wife is the same husband or wife. The kids haven't changed. The facts have stayed the same but it's often the filter or the frame that is different. Listen, here's something really important. You can't, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You can't control your circumstances, but you can often control how you frame it. And I wonder, um, I wonder how many of you all wanted something in life, but right now you're expecting the exact opposite. Like, I wonder how many of you all thought about uh, however old you are, and you're like, man, I, I thought this is what life was going to look like, but this is exactly the opposite of what I thought it would be like. Like maybe you thought by this time, I thought I'd be doing such and such. I thought I'd be, uh, I'd be in this place, or I'd have this, or I'd have accomplished this, or I would have had this relationship. And you really, really, really wanted your life to look like this, but instead of achieving or accomplishing or having or being where you wanted, you're now living in the exact opposite of what you thought it would be. Maybe some of you dreamed that you would have like this great marriage and you dreamed that you prepared for it, you prayed about it, and you worked toward it with everything that you have and you married your sweetheart and then years later you end up uh, uh, where you never wanted to be, brokenhearted and divorced. You're like, this is not where I pictured my life would be. It's the exact opposite of what I thought. And maybe for you it wasn't uh, your marriage. Maybe it was that you, got to, you thought that um, it was that you got to a point in life where you thought you'd be financially sound. Maybe you thought you'd be out of debt by now, or maybe you thought you'd be traveling a lot, or maybe you even had this dream of starting a ministry or making a difference, and you, you're, you're experiencing the exact opposite. And so if you ever wake up with this, like ever wake up uh, thinking, this is not what I dreamed of, this is not what I wanted, I want you to know that you're in good company. Because even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, had that exact same feeling. In fact, uh, his story is incredibly amazing to me because Paul just had this heart for God. He had this heart and this desire to serve and to please God. The only thing he wanted in life was to make God famous, to make others know Jesus, who Jesus was and what he did for us. And, and Paul had this dream. Like Paul had this dream. He wanted to go to Rome and he wanted to preach the gospel in the city of Rome. And you read the gospel, or you read his letters to the churches in the New Testament, and you'll see time and time again, he talks about that. 
And he wanted to go to Rome because he knew that Rome was this like huge metropolitan place where people from all over the world came. And he knew that if he could preach the gospel, it would be a strategic place to help spread the good news to the rest of the world. That if he could just share the gospel in Rome, that people in Rome would hear the gospel and take it back to where they came from, and the gospel would be spread like a wildfire. So his dream and his top prayer and his greatest desire and what he felt like his calling on his life was to go to Rome and to preach the gospel. But instead of going to Rome and preaching the gospel, he finds himself a prisoner in Rome. Like, he finds himself shackled and chained to another guard. He finds himself waiting in prison to be executed, and not what his dream was. And I'm sure he had conversations with God, like, God, this wasn't the dream, right? Like, my dream was to come to Rome and to preach the gospel so that your message would spread like a wildfire. This isn't what I thought of. I'm in prison. Like, I'm in prison under house arrest. I can't leave. And I can't like to share the gospel. He got the exact opposite of what he wanted. And here's what I know is that Paul could have framed the situation in one of many ways. Like, he could have allowed uh, the mind, the battle that was going on in his mind could, could have gone in any direction. And he could have framed it in a negative way, right? Like Paul could have taken his circumstances, being in prison, being under house arrest, waiting for execution. He could have framed it in a negative way and said something like this. He could have wrote a letter, which he often did, to the church, and he could have said something like this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me really stinks right now. I mean, I never imagined that this is what God would have done. As a result of all the hell I've been through, as a result of all the preaching I've done, as a result of all the, uh, the people making fun of me, as a result of all the people telling me that I'm not who I say I am, as, all the, as a result of all the rests that I've taken because in the name of Jesus, he says, you know what? I'm done. I'm quitting small group. I'm quitting church. I'm quitting Jesus. I'm no longer on the team. He could have framed it that way and wrote a letter to the church saying, listen, I quit. I'm done. And, 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 but that's not what he did. He reframed his situation. He didn't allow his circumstances to drag him down. Because here's exactly what he wrote. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, he's in that situation. The facts are the same. But here's what he actually writes to the church. He says this. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me doesn't suck doesn't stink. This is what he says. What has actually happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Not my dream, God. This is not the plan. This is not what we talked about. I went to Rome to preach the gospel, spread the news so it would be all over the world. He goes, but what has actually happened is vastly different, but it has served to advance the gospel. He says in verse 13, as a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see, Paul's like, even though it looks bad, even though it looks like things are falling apart, I'm under arrest, I'm in prison, I am waiting for potentially to be uh, murdered. He says, even though things are falling apart and I'm in bad shape, he's like, when I reframe it, I see this. I see that my circumstances have caused me 
to spread the good news. Because of my current circumstances, the gospel is being advanced. And now you're like, well, Pastor Rick, how in the world did that happen? Well, let me just share with you because Paul was locked up to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He had somebody chained to him, physically chained to him at all hours of the day. And he's like, you know what? This is great. He's like, I'm getting, pre I'm getting to preach to a captive audience. He's like, I get a new person every eight hours to tell about Jesus. He's like, I get, I get a new person every eight hours who must sit and listen to my eight-hour sermon of how awesome Jesus is. He's like, this is awesome. Like, hey, what's your name? My name is Bartholomew. Hey, Bartholomew, I'm so glad you're going to be my guard for the next eight hours. Guess what? I got an eight-hour sermon mapped out for you on how good Jesus is. Sit up, sit up, buckle up, buttercup, because here we go. And for the next eight hours, he witnessed to that guard. And then a new guard came eight hours later. Hey, what's your name? My name is Matiah. Hey, Matiah, I'm, I'm Paul. And guess what? For the next eight hours, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. So but, buckle up, buttercup, because here we go. And again, for the next eight hours, you got to share Jesus. And it went on and on and on. And he says that the gospel was advanced because the whole palace guard, the entire palace guard and beyond, learned who Jesus was. And he says this, and because of my chains, because I was chained to a Roman soldier, he says, most of the brothers and sisters have become even more confident in the Lord. It's not the facts that are different. It's how you frame your circumstances. So let's talk about how you can reframe your story, because here's what I know. I know that many of you have a battle going on in your mind that many of us are fighting with a, a losing battle in our mind, and your life may have some complications, but guess what? Let me just be honest with you. We all got stuff. Every one of us in this room, we've got stuff. We got stuff with our family. We got stuff with our kids. We got stuff with our neighbors. We got stuff with the people we work with. We got stuff after stuff after stuff after stuff. And then we got even more stuff. We got uh, bad doctor report stuff. We got bad behavior stuff. We got fighting with your spouse stuff. We've got financial problems stuff. We got fear stuff, bad news on the news stuff, bad news with the family stuff, bad news in your extended family stuff. We got more and more and more and more and more stuff. Listen, we've all got junk in our lives. We've all got stuff. And so often, so much of life is generally pretty good, but often it's the small stuff that ends up taking us out of God's perfect will for our lives. We spent last, the past six weeks talking about living a life on purpose. And so often what gets us off purpose is the stuff. It's the negative stuff that we allow to take up residence in our thought life. And so let me give you three specific tools as we wrap up this morning. Three specific tools that can help you to reframe your life, renew your mind, and win the war in your mind so that you can change your thinking so that it will change your life. And the first thing is this. The first thing is that we need to thank God for what didn't happen. We need to get in the habit of thanking God for what didn't happen. There's a story of a 20-year-old girl that sat her mom and dad down uh, uh, in the living room one night. And she said these words. She said, Mom and Dad, I've got some really bad news to tell you. And I need you to sit down and I need you to listen and I need you to be, listen to the whole story. Like, let me tell you the whole story before you interrupt, but I really need you to stay calm because it's some really bad news. 
So if you can imagine a parent hearing those words, you'd be a little on edge. And so she proceeds to tell the story. She says, listen, I went out to a bar and, uh, and, and I met a guy. And, and well, we drank too much and, and he came back to my apartment and we hooked up and I'm embarrassed to say, but mom and dad, uh, I'm pregnant. And, uh, and, and the good news, she says, the good news is that his probation will be over in a year and he's going to start looking for a job. And, and as soon as he's out of rehab, he'll consider marrying me. But since we can't afford to get married right now, he's just going to move in with me. And she let it hang there for a minute. And can you imagine the feelings and the emotions that their mom and dad are going through? And after she lets it hang there for a minute, she looks at him and she says, well, actually, mom and dad, none of that's true. The truth is I got a D on my chemistry exam and I just wanted you to know it could be a whole lot worse. You know, there may be a time where some of us ought to thank God for what didn't happen in our life, right? For what didn't happen. I don't know what it would be for you, but maybe, maybe you missed a goal at work and you didn't get that bonus and you feel devastated by that, but you can thank God. You can thank God that in a challenging economy that you didn't lose your job or suddenly and suddenly you're reframing the situation Rather than just focusing on what's wrong, you can actually see what's right. Or you might get in a car wreck. And so Emma, my daughter, she got in a little fender bender recently. And, and I know she was thinking, she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, this is going to be too expensive. How am I going to pay for the repairs? What am I going to do for a car? Uh, you know, how, deductible is crazy. How am I going to pay for that? Uh, and I'm not going to have a car for a few weeks. And, and, and she could have framed it that way or she could have reframed it. And she could have said, you know what? It could have been a lot worse. Thank you, God, that nobody got hurt. It's just a car. It can be fixed. It can be replaced. Thank God that it wasn't that big of a deal. You see, in the whole scheme of things, there are some things that are a big deal. But often, it's the things that aren't that big that end up taking us out, that end up creating strongholds in our thought life and lies that we think about. And if you'll take a step back, and if you'll get in the habit of doing this, take a step back and get a broader picture, right? Get a, the big picture, a broader perspective. Instead of focusing just on this small little negative part, you might just change the frame. And you might just say, God, you know what? Thank you for what didn't happen. The second thing that you can do that I want to talk about is you can practice pre-framing. Preframing. Preframing is deciding how you'll frame a situation before you engage in it. So let's say that you know that there's a, something, an event coming up, a meeting or a circumstance or a family reunion or whatever, and you can preframe how you're going to experience that situation. And, and why does this matter? Well, it matters because our thoughts or our frames often shape what we experience. And oftentimes we go into stressful situations with negative thoughts. And so we pre-frame how that situation is going to play out. And so if you go into a meeting, for example, we'll just make it simple. You go into a meeting and you say, you know what? This meeting is going to be so bad. Like it's going to be so horrible. Uh, I hate these people that I have to deal with. Uh, I'm gonna, it's going to be boring. I'm going to fall asleep. Uh, you think you're going to have a good meeting? If that's how you pre-frame the meeting, that it's going to be horrible, it's going to stink, it's not going to be any good, uh, it's going to be a waste of time, guess what? If that's the way you think, that's probably how the meeting's going to go. 
So oftentimes that's what we do. We pre-frame how something's going to happen. And oftentimes we pre-frame it in a negative way. Instead, why don't we go into it thinking, you know what? I'm going to go into this meeting thinking we're going to do our best. We're going to be productive. We're going to, I'm going to enjoy the people that I'm working with. And it's going to be okay. It's going to be a good meeting. You go into the same meeting with that kind of pre-framing and the meeting's gonna turn out different than if you went in with the negative thoughts. You see, the way that you frame it is often changes how you perceive it. And so framing is such an important part of our experience. And so I want you to get in the habit of not only thanking God for what didn't happen, but start pre-framing. If you know you're going into a situation that might be uncomfortable or difficult or challenging, just go ahead and pre-frame it in a positive way rather than in a negative way. And, uh, and if you do that, you will see success and you will see that things that you, events that you were dreading don't turn out as bad as you thought they were. And here's what I know to be true. I know that some of you are pre-framing your failures. Like some of you are pre-framing your failures before you even get there. Like you're already saying in your mind, you're already telling yourself, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to get the job. I'm no good. I'm worthless. I'm not going to, it's not going to happen. And you take uh, whatever shortcomings you have. And rather than putting a negative spin on it, why don't you learn from them and pre-frame the situation and walk into whatever that situation is, believing that God, number one, is with you. And that God knows what's best for you and that God will enable you to be successful. So instead of pre-framing things in a negative way, why don't you pre-frame things in a positive way? So you can thank God for what didn't happen. You can pre-frame the situation. And the third thing you can do is you can look for God's goodness. This one's big. Look for God's goodness because here's what I know Uh, And I promise you that you will always find what you're looking for. You'll always find what you're looking for. If you look for good, you can find good. If you look for the bad, guess what? You're going to find the bad. If you want to see what's wrong in every every single day, you'll find what's wrong in every single day. If you want to not like people, you can find a ton of reasons why you don't like those people. I say all the time, what you count is what doubles in your, in your life. So if you're constantly counting the bad things, guess what's going to multiply in your life? The negative bad things. But if you're counting the positive things, if you're counting the God things, if you're counting the things that God's doing in your life, the blessings, guess what doubles and multiplies in your life? The blessings. So you'll always find what you're looking for. So why not look for God in all things? And, and if you want to see faith and if you want to see the best uh, that you can, it's, uh, you got to look for God. It's the difference between being a vulture and a hummingbird. Now, besides their sizes, there's another big difference between a vulture and a hummingbird. What does a vulture look for all day? Dead things, stinky things. That's what a vulture looks for. Always looking around for the dead, negative things. What does a hummingbird look for? We have two hummingbird uh, feeders on our back porch. I love sitting out there and watching them come and, and grab some of the nectar from the, from the feeders. But that's what a hummingbird looks for. A hummingbird looks for the sweet things in life every day. That's what they do. Their whole life is spent looking for the sweet things, and that's what they find. And so your option, 
You can choose to be a vulture and spend all day, every day looking for the negative stuff in your life, or you can spend yourself, uh, your life look like a hummingbird and looking for the sweet things in life, the God things. Because I promise you this, you'll always, always, always find what you're looking for. If you want to find what's wrong, what's bad, what's not working, you can live a really depressed, negative life because that's what you're looking for. But instead, if you want to look for where God is working, you can see that he's still on his throne. He's still large and in charge. He's still good. He's still powerful. And he still answers prayers. You find what you're looking for. It's called cognitive reframing. And cognitive reframing is empowering you to decide the meaning of an event. You see, you get to decide how you frame the circumstances in your life. You can either define them as, oh my gosh, my life stinks, and you can frame it that way, or you can reframe it to say, you know what? This isn't what I expected, but God is doing something in this circumstance of my life too. And so let's not, but let's not just do cognitive reframing. Let's take it one step further, where not only do you decide what your circumstances are going to look like, but you also allow Jesus to help you uh, to decide the meaning of the situation. Like, why don't we let Jesus reframe our circumstances? You see, uh, many of you know that when my dad, when I was 17 years old, my dad was shot and killed, and it rocked my world. And it was so easy for me to find the bad in everything in that time in my life. Like I walked around just angry. I walked around jaded. Uh, it was easy me, for me to think and to say that everyone ha- that to, to anyone and everyone that I had a suckier life than they did. Like it was so easy for me to say, oh, you think your life is bad? Check out my life. And I walked around that way. And, and I walked around just negative and always looking at the negative. But at the same time, that that happened, uh, I got closer to my mom. That because of what happened in my, to my dad, I had some amazing people step up and step into my life that I probably wouldn't otherwise have had. I got to go to college because of my dad's insurance. I learned to trust God in the most challenging of times in my life. And most importantly, I learned how to forgive. You see, at first glance, it would be easy for me to say that that was the worst day of my life. But I see so many incredible blessings when I reframe it, when I look at it through the lens of God rather than Rick's lens. And now that I look back, while it still was a bad day, it's not as bad as it originally seemed. That's reframing. That's reframing my circumstances. In other words, If God is working in all things for the good of others, then it's time to reject those unhealthy thoughts that are taking over our thought lives. It's time to take them captive and hold them obedient to God's word. Like do away, get rid of the frames that tell you you can't, you won't, you're nothing, you're a failure, and reframe it. Reframe your thought life. You see, what we're doing is we're not passively receiving circumstances, but we're actively interpreting the circumstances that we experience. And guess what? Here's something really important. We're not interpreting the goodness of God through our circumstances, but we're interpreting our circumstances through the lens of God's 
goodness. Do you see the difference there? It's a huge difference. When we can get in the habit of interpreting our circumstances through the lens of God's goodness, we begin to win the war that is raging in our thought life. For Paul, what happened to him, it was not the circumstances he wanted. It wasn't what he thought would happen, but it actually served to advance the gospel because you cannot control what happens to you. Let me say that again. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Are you gonna live your life interpreting the goodness of God through your circumstances? Or are you gonna flip the script and start interpreting your circumstances through the goodness of God? Listen, let me employ you, let me beg you to take Paul's advice to heart when he said, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Listen, the patterns of this world are full of negativity. You look on social media, that's all you see is one bash after another, one person ripping on another person. It's tiring. And we begin to believe those negative thoughts as we allow them to infiltrate our minds. The same is true with the news that we watch on TV or we listen on the radio. So don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, Paul said. He said, but be transformed, be changed, be made into something different. And how do we do that? He told us, he said, by the renewing of our minds. Paul's like, listen, you want to flip the script in your life. You want to win the war that's going on in your mind. You got to start taking your mind and renewing it. And how do we do that? By taking captive every single thought and making it obedient to Jesus and his word. You wanna renew your mind? It begins by opening up the word and you take your thoughts and you compare your thoughts to the word of God. And if your thought life isn't matching up with God's word, it's a stronghold, it's a lie. And Paul would say, no, you gotta take captive that thought and you gotta take your thought and make it obedient to the word of God. But church, you can't do that if you're not in the word of God. You can't do that if you're not reading the word of God. You can't do that if you're not taking the word of God and tucking it away in your heart. So if you wanna renew your mind, it begins by reading the word of God. And here's what Jesus said. He said, listen, he said, when you know the truth, my word, the truth will set you free. Do you wanna be captives to the strongholds in your life? Or do you wanna be set free from those strongholds by looking at God's word? So let's get in the habit thanking God for what didn't happen. Let's start pre-framing those circumstances and let's start diving into the word of God so that we would not be held captive to those thoughts that are raging and waging war in our thought life. Would you pray with me? Father God, our minds are beautiful things. Lord, you have
you have created uh, just an amazing thing in our brains, Lord, in, in our, our thought life and our minds. Lord, there's so much going on in there that we have no idea. But Lord, we know there are these neural pathways that, that, will, that will create pathways in our lives that will lead to stinking thinking. And Lord, if we allow these negative thoughts to continue to enter into our minds, they'll take over and they'll create these strongholds and we'll start believing these lies. And Father, you never created us to live a life of lies. And that's why you gave us your word, Lord. You gave us your word so that it would demolish the strongholds in our minds so that we might be set free from the lies that we've been believing and so that we can live a life of hope and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And so Lord, I pray for my friends. I pray for myself, Lord. The Lord, that I would continue to wage war with my thought life. Lord, that I would take captive every thought that enters into my mind. Lord, I would hold it up to your standard of your word. And if that thought doesn't match your word, it's nothing but a lie. Lord, I need to demolish that stronghold and I need to replace it with the truth. So Lord, when I start believing that I'm no good, when I start believing that I'll never make a difference, when I start believing that I'm ugly, when I start believing that I'm not worth anything. Lord, those are all lies that don't match up with your truth and your word. And Lord, may we remind ourselves that your word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are created in your image, that we are created for a purpose. Lord, help us to not believe the lies, but to believe the truth and allow your truth to take up root within us so that we can win the war that's happening inside our minds. Lord, I pray that each of us in here, that you would watch over our thought lives. Lord, that we would do the things that we need to do to protect our thought life. Lord, that we would learn about our biases that we would learn about how we can reframe our circumstances so that we can overcome the lies in our life and the negative thoughts in our life. Lord, thank you for this beautiful thing called the mind. And thank you that you've equipped us and empowered us to live in a way that only we can do with you. Father, if there's someone in this room that has never said yes to you, if there's someone sitting in a seat today who has never given their life to you, Father, may it start there. May it start with them surrendering their life to you today. Simply saying, yes, Jesus, I recognize that I have lived my life without you, that I've lived my life as a sinner, but today I want to surrender my life to you. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want you to bring the dead things in my life back to life so that I might live a life of hope and joy and peace and purpose. 
come Jesus and be my Lord and Savior. If that's you today, just invite him in. Just say, Jesus, come and be my Lord and be my Savior. You can even say, Jesus, I don't understand what all that means, but I know I want you to be my Lord and Savior today. And with your help, I'll figure out the rest. Just say that if that's you today. Just pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, come and be my Lord and my Savior today. Forgive me of my sins and make me new with you. And maybe you're here today and you're like, man, Pastor Rick, my thought life is a disaster. Like it's a wreck, it's a mess, it's a train wreck. Maybe today you just need to come before the Lord and say, Jesus, my thought life is such a mess. Would you help me to begin to destroy the barriers and the strongholds in my life? Would you show me your truth that I can use to win the war that's going on in my mind? Lord Jesus, come and take him down. Take down every lie. Take down every stronghold. Help me to replace it with your truth. Help me to know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Help me to know that I am created in your image. Help me to know that this is not the way you designed my life, that you created me to live a life of love and joy and peace and patience and purpose. Jesus, come and help me to win the war that I am losing in my mind today. Come, Jesus. Come and destroy the strongholds. Help me reframe my thinking. Help me to reframe my life. I surrender it to you. Father God, I thank you for the, the truth and your word. And I thank you that we can and have the power to take captive every thought and to make it obedient to you. Pray. Amen. So listen, if that's you today, if you're sitting there and you're like, man, my, my thought life is a train wreck, I invite you to come and pray. I just invite you to come and surrender it to the Lord and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own, but I got some lies that I've been living. I got some strongholds that I need torn down. Would you come and show me your truth and show me your will and show me your power so that I can destroy the lies in my life. You just come and spend time in prayer. You want me to pray with you? I'll be right there in the front row. Just tap me and say, Rick, I need you to come pray with me. Or if you said yes to Jesus for the first time, you just come. Come up here and pray and just pray again. Say, Jesus, I don't understand all of it, but I want you to come and be my Lord and my Savior. Would you help me to understand what that means? If you want someone to pray with you again, I'm right there in the front row. I'll walk with you through it. I'll pray with you. The rest of us, let's stand together, all of us. Let's worship the Lord and let's thank God for what didn't happen. Let's look for the goodness of God in every circumstance that we face. Let's worship the Lord as we sing together. Let's sing, let's worship, let's spend time in prayer.